One thing that we've been doing over the summer is that we've invited a person from our community to share a, a five-minute life-shaping story, a story from their life that had, had impact to it. And so this morning, I want to invite Deb McCormick for the, the five minutes for our, as the storyteller. Good morning. So um, this life-changing event in my life, I've told before here, but um, to me it's worth repeating. Um, so I came up in Detroit and um, had a great family life, solid family, and mom and dad, and mom made sure that um, myself and my two older brothers were at church every Sunday, and that went on, and uh, great. Turned 15, and all of a sudden I was like, you know, I'm done with this. I don't need this. I don't need Jesus. I don't need church. I don't want to hang with those people at, at church. So um, from the time I was 15 to 40, I just led a uh, selfish, um, sinful life. I did what I wanted to do, when I wanted to do it, who I wanted to do it with. Um, and the Lord would, you know, tap me on the shoulder every once in a while. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, well, you know, I don't need that. So um, when my, I was very close to my dad. He was an outdoorsman. We did a lot of stuff together. And so he passed away um, when I turned 40. When my mom called me in the night and said that um, we all needed to come to the hospital, that my dad was, um, was dying and we were told to come. So um, when I got that call, let me back up some. So, okay, so now I'm 30, um, married a wonderful man, three wonderful children. I mean, amazing life, right? And still the Lord's tapping me on the shoulder, and I'm like, you know, just, I'm just being ungrateful. So, okay, so now I'm 40. My mom calls, says we have to come to the hospital. Immediately, um, as if it was filling the room, I hear, what a friend we have in Jesus, one of my favorite hymns. And um, it was evident that it was like, I'm done tapping you on the shoulder. I'm in your face, right? So I'm with you right now and with me And when we went to the hospital. And, um, and after that, um, it was, you know, a hard time when my dad passed. And a few weeks went, and it's just a regular day at home and making dinner, cutting up green pepper and onion, and, which I love green pepper and onion for this now. But um, uh, Chris and the kids are downstairs, and everything's peaceful, and... And I'm uh, in the kitchen making dinner, and there was this, um, like a cloud, like a, um, like a battle that was going on. It was, it was like right over my forehead. And I'm looking downstairs to make sure that it's not, that I'm not the only one hearing this. I thought it was so evident to me that it must be going on, you know, like Chris and the kids were calm, and they didn't have any idea. And it went on and on, and it was like... Um, like you'd see in the movies, you know, like big clouds of dust and, and this battle going on. It was loud, and, and I'm like, oh, it's freaking me out. And I'm like, what is this? You know, what's going on? And then I hear the Lord's voice, and he says, uh, who do you choose? Who do you choose? And I'm like, well, I'm not sure who he's talking. Who do you choose? And I'm like, oh, man, that's to me. Oh, my goodness, that's Jesus. He's talking to me. And I'm like, how can I say no? You know, I mean, this, he let me witness this battle that he's fighting for me. Um, 
and I said, you, Jesus, you. And it was nearly immediately. I found my old Bible, and I couldn't get enough. Um, I talked to my mom, and I said, do you know anybody in this neighborhood, what church I could go to around here? And, and she said, your Sunday school teacher from when you were a child lives like three blocks away from you. And she goes to a church very close, walking distance. So I went there, um, just up the road from here, and it was every sermon was just for me. He, the pastor was just talking to me, and um, so that was a life-changing event in my life. Um, the Lord has blessed me with um, just a wonderful life, one blessing after another, and He's given me opportunity to see His work um, through me, which um, humbles me. I'm so very grateful, but. Um, so yeah, that's it. Thank you very much. Thank you, Deb. That was awesome. I think what's so cool and so cool about story is to know that your story is not insignificant. Every part of it, right? It's, not, it's so significant. The story you're in right now is significant. The story, that story is significant. That's why we tell them again and again and again of a God that is involved, that is involved in our lives, that's wanting to be involved in our lives, who's continuing to pursue us. Your story is significant. And I, was, I was listening to something recently and... It was just, that was the message this guy was trying to get to. This current story you're in, even though it might be different than the one you want to be in, even though you wish the current story was way different and you've already rewritten it 20 times to fit the narrative that you want, your current story is so significant. And God's part of it. It's significant. You are significant. And as we can breathe in that reality for today, may we find hope of, an, of a God who is working and at work and whispering to us and to our current circumstances. So thank you, Deb, so much for even just sharing that significant moment of God reaching in and pursuing you. So we're in the Psalms, and we've been, we've been using this, we've been, the Psalms is like this prayer tool book. It's a, it's a book of prayers, right, of poetry. And uh, we've been encouraging you to pray the Psalms through the summer, to read them and to pray them that Psalms are a response to God as prayer is. God is always initiating. He's always talking to us. And our response to God is our prayers. And the Psalms help us to practice responding to God. And so it's so important. So today we're talking about something different. So maybe we should start with this. Let's just start with one of the Psalms as a prayer, and then we'll know immediately what we're talking about today. Would you stand with me? This is Psalm 137, and so let's, uh, let's pray this psalm. The words are here behind me, and so let's pray it together. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars, we hung our harps. For there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? 
If I forget you, Jerusalem, my right hand forgets its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction. Happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. Amen. You can be seated. Psalm 137. My son Harvest, he has, I, I'm sure he's picked it up from, from us, but when he hears something crazy, he says, what the heck? <laughs> and verse 9 is one of those things, right? It, it's, it's, so if you've read the Psalms or been trying to pray the Psalms, um, this is not an anomaly in the Psalms. Of all the themes of the Psalms, the first theme is just, you know, Psalms of prayer, God is a big theme. But the second one, when you go through the Psalms, is going to be about enemies. It's all over the place. And you would think if you're writing a prayer book, if you're writing a book of worship, and all of a sudden you get to that last line, the editors would have said, you know what, let's just tone this down about throwing babies against rocks. And there's many prayer books that are, that are out there within Judaism that are using the Psalms and Christianity. And believe me, this part gets edited away. Because we look at it and we're like, it's, it's beyond our sensibilities. It, it's crazy. The Psalms are filled with this reality of enemies. And yet we are given this tool book, this, this book to help us pray. And yet, those who are placing these together as, a, as an act of worship... The theme of enemies is consistent and persistent. It's a reality. As if those who pray, who are going to pray regularly, if you're being taught by the Psalms, it's telling you, you are going to have enemies. Eugene Peterson, in the, in, in the book, we've been using his book to help us in this dialogue, says this is so crucial because psalm prayer, because there's certain types of prayer you can go into, right? You can, you can pray the kind of prayer that helps you get zen and peace. And these are tools that help you, like mindfulness. These are great tools, right? And to bring you to the calm. But sometimes the psalms don't reveal calm. They reveal the way things are. They bring up tension. They bring up hardship. They bring up hard things. Psalm prayer enters into the way things are and finds that things are pretty bad. Evil is encountered. Wickedness is confronted. People who practice psalm prayer get excited and yell, gesture. They're engaged in an act of war. Prayer is combat. The New Testament has the same language. In Ephesians 6, we just talked about that. It said, hey, place on the armor of God. Stand against the schemes of the devil. And it goes through all this stuff in Ephesians 6 about what you're supposed to put on. And the last thing that it says in that whole front of putting on this armor is this. And pray. And pray. And pray. In all situations, with all kinds of prayers. It's an act of war. 
When we take the Psalms as our guide, as our guide, we find that people who pray have a lot of enemies. And they spend a lot of the praying time dealing with them. So do you. Are you comfortable with the reality of enemies? If you're like me, you'd prefer it not to be. I've, I've been praying the Psalms for a long time. And, and there's been many days where all of a sudden I'm, I'm, I'm praying this Psalm and the Psalm is all about enemies. And, and then usually a lot of times I'm like, oh, that was a waste. Right? It didn't seem to move me into my circumstances. But, but there are enemies. When we come across enemies, they seem to disturb our peace. But we do know the reality that things are not as we wished. I mean, here, here's just a few, right? And a few things that we can talk about enemies. And just this Easter it happened on April the 21st. There were three churches in Sri Lanka and three luxury hotels that were bombed. Right? They were, they were killed by extremist terrorists, and 248 people were killed. Many people were killed for their, for their faith. It's not only Christians that were killed. And in this last year, the mosque and the community center in Christchurch, New Zealand, was targeted by someone who hated Muslim people. And that 51 people were killed. Almost to the day, four years ago in the United States, a young man targeted an African-American church in Charleston, took his gun in there and just killed the people. The anniversary of that will be in three days. And these are not rare, I mean, these are not sort of rare encounters. They, they, they happen all the time. Our friends were telling us in their neighborhood up north where they, they grew up that all of a sudden it was the 4th of July picnic and all of a sudden there's a black man that is there and a young person comes up and punches him in the face for no reason except for that he was black. I mean, the reality is that if you're Christian or you're black or, or, if, or if you're gay or if you're, uh, right, you, if you're Republican, right, or if you're a Democrat or whatever these, these titles, they're, they're, there's enemies. If you're an American, if you're Jewish, there's enemies. There's, there's people who want to do other people harm, who want to annihilate people groups, who want to suppress people groups, who want to suppress people. It's a theme that's in the scriptures. Now we're trying to put this downer on this reality, but there's this reality there, there is evil. We wish it was not so. And the Psalms seem to bring it up. And in the Psalms, what it brings up is it, it brings out an expression towards evil. And usually the most animated expression towards evil is hate. Right? Where you're disgust and anger. And hate is one of those really difficult things to kind of deal with. Because it's terrifying. But our hate needs to be prayed, not suppressed. Hate is our emotional link with the spirituality of evil. It's a volcanic eruption of outrage when the holiness of being, ours or another's, has been violated. But it is the ugliest and most dangerous of our emotions. And so I think sometimes when it comes to praying, we want to suppress anything that says, well, you're not actually supposed to pray that way. You're not actually supposed to do it that way. You've got to pray in the nice ways. That way God hears what you pray. But yet, 
Prayer is our response, and it's a response to God. And if you pray the Psalms, they're filled with some language of some hate, of some anger, language of vengeance towards enemies. We might be embarrassed by this to either admit or to pray our hate. So we'll deny it and suppress it. But if it's not prayed, we've lost an essential insight and energy in doing battle with evil. So psalms like this, they were included so we could become aware that evil is more extensive than we ever guessed. And the psalms work to train us to grapple with evil. And so there is a place for enemies and grappling with it. This prayer gives us insight so we can identify that there are enemies and respond with outrage. So you can hate what you see that is terrible in this world. And on behalf of the dispossessed, of the mocked, of the the dehumanized of the earth, and we can pour into the ears of God the sightings of enemies. Because there are. There are people who are being abused and dehumanized in all places across the world. And there's a place for bringing that to God and crying out for justice. There is an enormous amount of suffering in the world because of evil people. And this is meant to bring us to our feet to pray for justice. And so the psalms are just teaching us this. I think that uh, we took a survey in our community and we know there's such a thing as justice. It's a biblical mandate of the scriptures. We took this survey and it was like we believe in pursuing justice in the world for the things that have been, the wrongs that have committed and being able to say, oh God, how can we make these right? How can we begin to mend and become and support the victims and encourage and be a voice for the oppressed? So we all said we believed in it as a community, but we said we struggled. It was one of the lowest scores that we had as a tired community. We struggled to be able to step with any kind of action, with any kind of momentum. And yet prayer is one of those ways the Psalms teach us. It says when we hear of injustice and the atrocities that are being committed against other people, we can stand to our feet in outrage and pray to God. Call to him, God, see, see this God. Move on behalf of these people, this individual, this family. And so the Psalms give us language. But this prayer does not legitimize hate. I'm not trying to, but it uses it. And it's this means to step into this conversation with God. When hate is prayed, it is the first steps into the presence of God where we learn that he has ways of dealing with things that are brought to him that are both other and better than we have in our own minds. But he has ways and we have to bring those to him. But until we've prayed, many times we're not teachable. This is what Eugene Peterson says. That we need to be honest in our prayers We must pray who we are, not who we think we should be. And this is what Jesus said. I mean, so we think about enemies and that. I mean, Jesus recognized enemies. He had enemies. He told people they were his enemies. He told people, hey, you're going to kill me. And they thought that he was demon-possessed when he said that. And he was killed by them. 
But in the most historic, right, the most known teachings of Jesus about enemies, what did Jesus say about enemies? Yeah, he said to love them, right? Matthew 5, right, verse 44. Love your enemies and pray for them, those who persecute you, those who hurt you. So Jesus is saying, yeah, there, there's a pathway of prayer for them. But what Jesus is able to do here, he's able to recognize that actually somebody is their enemy. It's his enemy. He's saying there are enemies. And your response is not to respond to them in violence, but to love them and to pray for them. But how many of us can actually identify an enemy? Now this gets dangerous territory a little bit because I think that sometimes, even here, we struggle with this. We struggle to either minimize or say, oh, the guy that cut me off in traffic is my enemy. Or the person who disagrees with me on a certain political issue is my enemy. No. I, I was even reading things they, they were saying in the church that says, hey, if people disagree on this, they're enemies of the church. And I was like, that's, that's so ridiculous. So I, I believe that creation care is an issue of the gospel. Okay, that's just what I, I believe this. I believe that when Genesis, that God created the world, he said, hey, I'm giving to this to you to be stewards of it. And this is really good, I've created it, and yes, sin has issues in there, but yet this mandate was given to humanity and saying, take care of it. Care for animals and the land and this. It's creation care, I think it's part of the gospel. But if you disagree with that, and you say, I, I don't see it, I don't think it is. I mean, I think it's, it's nice and it's a good thing, but I don't know if it's a gospel issue. That doesn't make you an enemy of mine. And we can discuss that. And we can discuss it passionately. And if you don't know how to do that or you're afraid of those conversations, you gotta come to our training on August the 17th from nine until noon because we're saying we've gotta be able to enter into hard conversations where we disagree with each other. We can talk about things. We can talk about things that says, oh, wow, I think this is a justice issue. I think this, there's an enemy here behind this. I think there's something going on here where we can disagree and we can learn from each other and we can see things differently. We need each other in that. Doesn't make each other enemies. But we need to sit at a table. But Jesus said, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. We have enemies and Jesus was one who encouraged to be able to identify them, but to pray for them. Our hate, or our disgust, it's used by God to bring the enemies of life and salvation to notice. And then involves us in act of compassion for victims. But all this prayer of enemies just brings into the reality there is such a thing as evil in the world. It involves us. And once involved, we can find that while hate provides this spark, this ignition, this ignition in order for us to respond and stand to our needs, it's, it's not a proper motive for fueling us towards anything of life. And Jesus is saying, no, love is the fuel of life, not hate. But it will raise you to your feet. And the Psalms remind us of this and invite us into this conversation Ephesians 4, verse 26 and 27 say this. In your anger, do not sin. 
Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. I think this is a really interesting text here. You can be angry, and there's some things in this world that should make you really incredibly angry. It should bring you to outrage. And it doesn't take much to read the news, and many of us don't even want to read the news because there's just terrible things from the abuse of people, the, the abuse of young girls, the abuse of young boys, the abuse of poor, right? I mean, it should make us angry. But Jesus, is in, or in this teaching, this has to say, be angry, we don't sin. Don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Sometimes that's harder to do. What does this mean? Don't give the devil a foothold. But what I think is so crucial about this, that could be very difficult to do. But here's one thing. Remember we were talking about the rhythms of a day in prayer? In the morning and night. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. What can you do with your anger? Well, the Psalms give you a place to put it. God, do something here. Intervene. You don't have to pray right, but you can pray. You can bring your anger to God. You can present it to him, the outrage that you're seeing in the world. The things you're confused about, that you're uncertain about. You can bring them there. Don't give the devil a foothold. There's things that have consumed my souls for seasons where I will meditate upon them, where I will continue to stew over the outrage of violence that I see in the world. And it does me no good for me not to move that and say, God, I'm, I'm angry here with this. Do something with this. Sometimes my outrage is on things of justice, and sometimes my outrage is just puny and pathetic. And motivated by the own evil in my own heart that wants to have vengeance to someone who keyed my car. I, mean, I, I had this story from years ago of a guy who keyed our car, and I still daydream about vengeance about being a mixed martial arts pastor, <laughs> able to do something, right? That, that's the, it, and it's so ridiculous, but it, it, it's like I am not exaggerating, right? I dream of doing violence to people who I think have wronged me. I'm two steps away from the evil in myself, spilling over into different places, right? Oh, God have mercy. Those who have seen all kinds of tragedies break out, they say this, say that, man, evil has a way of birthing more evil. Even those who are responding to evil with violence outbreaks and those trying to defend, it's so dangerous. And the Psalms give us a place to recognize the reality of evil, to bring it to God in conversation and allow God to begin to do something with it and to teach us, to speak to us about it to transform us as we see this going on in our world. We need God who's going to speak to us, a God who has said, hey, I, I, when you were evil, I welcomed you. I paid a price for you. There was a place for it in prayer. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Don't give the devil a foothold. Here's Ephesians 6, as I began with today, that prayer is war. Ephesians 6 was about all this armor that we were supposed to put on, right? Helmet of salvation, the, the sword of God's word, 
you know, the shield of faith, and we talked about this, Nate taught about this, right, about the community needing to come around us, around us as these flaming arrows of the devil's schemes, these powers that work in this world, the evil forces that are at play right now, all over the place, influencing the way we think and the way we act. Those who are being filled, that are being empowered by the schemes of the devil to work his plots. In the same way that we can be empowered to do things that are not true. And so in the scriptures it's saying, oh, be powered by the Spirit. Be empowered by the Spirit because of the things of the Spirit are good. You can be empowered by something else. You can be influenced by something else. In the same text it says, don't get drunk because that's going to influence you. It's going to empower you to do something different than you would do if you weren't drunk. Be filled with the Spirit. You can be influenced by the Spirit of God to the things of God. There is a war that is going on in the hearts of minds of humanity. And this war text about encouraging people to stand, to stand in the reality of being God's, the reality that he is their protector and their shield, as we looked at last week, it finishes with this. Verse 18 of Ephesians 6, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So as you begin to pray the Psalms and you hit that text of enemies. Don't let those feel like just a waste. Pause for a moment. Allow the conversation to begin to say, what's brewing in my heart? Is there someone I'm calling an enemy who shouldn't be? Is there someone I'm calling an enemy who, where there's something that can be mended? Is there truly an atrocity that I should be raised to my feet and not ducking my head in the sand and saying, this should not be and I can actually take action and lift my concern to God and give it to him, saying, God, do something with this. Allow him to commune with you, because he might drive you closer into the fray. He might invite you to come alongside of the victims. He might ask you to leverage your money and your life and your time for these people. He might ask you to join them in their victimization, to come along with them, as Jesus did, as he joined us in ours. And gave his life. And then gave his life and died on a cross to embrace all the people who had offended him and wronged him. And offered them a way of salvation and forgiveness. May our prayers make room. May they make room for this reality of enemies. And that we have language to be able to do something with it. We pray that God would lead you into these conversations. Don't worry about praying wrong. You might misinterpret an enemy and get corrected by God and say they are not an enemy. They're a brother and they're a sister. Or you may realize there is an enemy that you need to continue to lift and confront and pray for them for God's good as he transforms your heart. So let's pray.